0: Again with hands lifted high, I put my trust, Lord. I put my trust in You. Hallelujah. I put my hope in You. I put my faith in You. Come on, let's sing that part one more time. Come on. Facing a difficult situation, I Sing this with faith. In you. I don't know how God, but my trust isn't going to be in you. I, I don't know when hope God, in you. but I'm going to trust in you. My hope is going to be in you, God. you put your hands together, give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Oh, just a moment more. Can we glorify the King of kings? You're worthy, Jesus. You're excellent and mighty, God. Altogether, lovely Lord. Hallelujah. Jesus, thank you, mighty God. Thank you, mighty God. Everybody say amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Thank you for your response to the presence of God. It's amazing how exhausted you can be after a difficult day at work, lots of stress, If you can just get the energy to praise God a little bit Just a little bit It's like a spiritual energy drink I get renewed, I get refreshed, I get restored Because there's a part of me That lives forever that's eternal And that part of me God can minister to That part God can strengthen Amen And I'm thankful for that what an exciting time to be a part of what God is doing in this final hour. I'm nearly having to muzzle myself tonight not to tell you everything that has taken place since Sunday. And uh, it's, I've just made a pact with myself. Keep your mouth shut. Just hold on to it. And it's everything I can do. And uh, so be here Sunday so I can tell you all about it, <laughs> all about it. It is, it's awesome. It really is incredible what God has done just since Sunday. Um, and it just, the floodgates opened up, God's moving through our church, and it is incredible. And so you don't want to miss Sunday, I mean, if nothing more, than to hear the great testimony of what is taking place in our church right now. If you were here over the weekend, Sunday morning was awesome. The presence of God was here. And then Sunday night, God just took the service over, moved in a mighty way. There was tongues interpretation, and there was just a real uh, a deep moving of God's presence. And I knew something then had broken, and, and we are seeing the effects of that this week. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Jonah. We are continuing in our series entitled God is Faithful. We are talking about the faithfulness of God illustrated through characters in the Bible tonight entitled Three Days in the Deep. We're going to go through the character of Jonah but look at him from a little different perspective. We probably all know or should know I, I used to be able to kind of assume and take for granted that people would know about Jonah and Noah and Lazarus and Abraham and uh, all these biblical characters that we heard about growing up in Sunday school. But I've come to realize that our generation doesn't know a lot of these stories. A lot of them don't, don't understand these powerful biblical precepts and concepts that your life is built on. And even as saints of God who've lived for God a long time, sometimes we forget about them. And so tonight we're going to look at Jonah from a little different angle and uh, hopefully help you. Jonah, the fourth chapter, and we're going to read and begin reading in verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying... Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Someone say, bad idea. It's never good to run from God. Right? Why? Where are you going to go? (laughs) Where are you going to go that God doesn't see you? And so it's never a good idea. If you feel God calling you, talking to you, drawing you, let me just save you a lot of money, a lot of time, a lot of headache, a lot of running around, a lot of wasted years. Just come to God. Yes. Yes. Just obey God drawing you. And so he, he, flee, he fled from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa. And he found a ship going to Tarsus. so he paid the, the fare thereof. And went down into it to go with them into Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship was like to be broken. This is another one of those wonderful ships I was talking about on Sunday. The mariners were afraid, and cried every man unto his God, and cast forth the wares that were at the ship into the sea to lighten it of them. But Jonah was gone down. We see the descent continuing into the sides of the ship. And he lay and was fast asleep. So the shipmaster came to him and said unto him, What meanest thou, O sleeper? <laughs> Arise, call upon thy God. Wake your kids up in the morning with that phrase. Just, it just sounds good. What meanest thou, O sleepers? Arise, call upon that God. If it so be that God will think upon us, that we perish not. And they said, Every one to his fellow, Come and let us cast lots that we may know, for whose cause this evil is upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell upon Jonah. Then said they unto him, Tell us, we pray thee, for whose cause this evil is upon us. What is thine occupation, and whence comest thou? What is thy country, and of what people art thou? And he said unto them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven which hath made the sea and the dry land. Then were the men exceedingly afraid, and said unto him, Why hast thou done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Final verse. Then said they unto him, What shall we do unto thee, that the sea may calm unto us? For the sea wrought and was tempestuous. Tempestuous. God is faithful. We find it here in a man that was three days in the deep. The very first world war brought levels of destruction previously unthinkable to humanity. Although other wars had occurred throughout history, World War I introduced new technologies into battles that spread across the globe. Never had the earth been so connected, yet never had the earth been so divided. With great effort, much bloodshed, and a generation of lives lost to the fight, the allies did triumph. However, the victory came at a great cost. Millions of soldiers died in the raging battles. Military action, disease, hunger, and other associated causes reaped the lives of millions of not just soldiers, but civilians. It has been rumored that the war unsurprisingly ended with a bold promise and a proclamation that was on the lips of every single person. My grandfather said that everybody was saying these two words at the end of World War I, never again, never again. The Allies lay the blame firmly at the feet of Germany for being the cause of World War I. And in order to avoid history... Repeating itself, the Allies vowed to sufficiently punish Germany. No one would have thought it unmerciful or unjust to harshly judge Germany for the atrocities committed and the huge death toll that World War One had. In fact, many would have deemed it a gross and negligent betrayal of justice not to pour wrath out on Germany. Policies were enacted to severely punish Germany and its citizens for the Great War. Germany, if you study history, you'll know, became a shell of its former self. Its economic power and its might disappeared almost overnight transforming into poverty and a sickening weakness across nearly every citizen of that country. Observers deemed such punishment well deserved. You got what you had coming to you, and perhaps you should have more coming to you. And Surely these measures, no matter how extreme, would save the planet from another world war, especially from Germany. They could not have been more wrong. The seeds of judgment sowed the seeds for the next world war. The people of Germany lived in hunger and poverty and extreme sickness for years after World War I. Most Germans, in fact, used their paper money as fuel to keep themselves warm. Since the currency they had and the money meant absolutely nothing. In their desperation, the German people looked for a leader. Anyone would do. So, the deranged and very evil Adolf Hitler had a captive, desperate audience and he rose to power. He brought Germany back from the brink of destruction and then took the entire world beyond the brink of disaster and over the edge to the most vicious fighting and atrocious treatment of human beings imagined. So World War II not only featured bloody battles, but we all know the story of the Holocaust, which claimed the lives of six million Jews. Germany also murdered five million prisoners of war. The Allies ultimately achieved that victory and we're thankful for that, but such a horrific loss and the millions of lives lost, can that truly be considered a victory? How is it today's world and how is it the world we live in is different due to the deaths of so many innocent lives and civilians? Could mercy have prevented World War II? Many historians, many writers have often said that World War II could have been prevented with a kinder and a more merciful approach to the citizens of Germany at that time. Had the rest of the world shown mercy to Germany as one opinion, it was possible that World War II could have been avoided even though Germany deserves some punishment no one argued that could it be that the world went too far if every action has an equal and opposite reaction then brutal punishment may also lead to brutal action James chapter 3 in verse 18 tells us but if we act peaceably and mercifully perhaps we can reap a better harvest of peace and righteousness. Nineveh was called the great city. This was a huge city in the ancient world. This wasn't Anger or Fuquay. This was a big city. Numerous people traveled to this metropolis due to the many opportunities and the jobs and the economy. It was a bustling center for trade. Now, this uh, place of Nineveh Nineveh is Mosul in Iraq, yet then it was called Nineveh. And it took its name from the patron goddess Ishtar. This name likely meant house of goddess. Now, the leaders of the Assyrian Empire who controlled Nineveh, who were in charge of this great city, they featured a who's who of ancient history. The celebrities, the smartest, the brightest, the richest, they all lived in Nineveh. The great lawgiver Hammurabi, known for his famous code, conquered the region. Shalimazar built walls, a palace, and a temple in this city. Tiglathar-Pilazar helped to strengthen the Assyrian power in that region. Later, the city... And the Assyrian dominance became greater and even more prominent with the rise of the Assyrian Empire beginning in 911 B.C. Nineveh had palaces, temples, paintings, gardens, everything that you can imagine to add to the splendor of this great city. In fact, this city included the hanging gardens of Babylon, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Here in Nineveh. And so gardens like the one that we referenced here. Angan Gardens and others. Could flourish because of the easy access to water that Nineveh had. It had an aqueduct system that was far advanced than anyone around them. So they had what others did not. And yet. Despite Nineveh's wonders. There was a prophet that hated this city. He hated the people of this city. He hated everything about this city. And his name was Jonah. Jonah hated the Assyrians. He hated Nineveh. We can date Jonah to around the 8th century B.C. And events in this time and beyond fueled this flame of hatred, animosity that Jonah had for the Assyrians. This was not just a a mild disdain. This was a hatred. The Assyrian Empire greatly affected the politics in the kingdom of Israel and Judah. The Syrians in the northern kingdom of Israel formed an alliance to defeat the Assyrians. Seeking troops from Judah, they attempted to depose King Ahaz, and they set up a puppet king during the Syrio-Ephraimite War. And yet, despite Isaiah's warning, King Ahaz sought help from the Assyrians and ended up paying them a great deal of tribute. The Assyrians eventually defeated the coalition of Syrian-Israelite troops. In 722 B.C., the Assyrians destroyed Samaria and deported the Israelites. Some of these northerners may have seen the coming destruction of their kingdom and traveled to Judah. Preserving historical text in that move. The southern kingdom, however, also faced the threat of the Assyrians. In the days of Hezekiah, the king rebelled against the Assyrians and nearly faced the demise of his kingdom. Miraculously, we know the Lord saved Jerusalem. And so we're starting to get a picture of why Jonah hated the Assyrians. The city and the king during this time escaped a horrible fate. The pages of history feature the cries of the Assyrian victims, innocent victims that run red with blood. The Assyrians enacted some of the worst forms of torture and punishment imaginable upon their victims. The Assyrian cruelty knew no bounds. They didn't care about uh, the treatment of others. They didn't care how they treated prisoners of war. It almost appeared that the Assyrians didn't have morals. They had no conscience in the eyes of many. They were despised by so many. And Jonah was not the only person who hated these people. Near the end of the Assyrian Empire, numerous subjects revolted. Their rebellions went beyond achieving victory or freedom. They wanted to punish and to annihilate eliminate the Assyrians for their brutality. So, God, however, He had a plan to redeem this nation. I'm so glad that God does not think like we think. I'm so glad I serve a God who's not revengeful. So glad I serve a God that's not out trying to get even. He's not just trying to punish me when I do wrong. And so the way Jonah viewed these people the way everybody else viewed them is not the way God viewed them. History would seem to make the Assyrians almost irredeemable due to their ruthlessness. Have you known Have you ever known people that are so mean and are so hateful that you're like, I don't even know if God loves them. Like I just, they're just almost like they're irredeemable. Like I can't imagine. When you think about serial killers or uh, the worst of our society in your mind, you're like, I just don't think they can be redeemed. It's hard for you to imagine extending grace to someone like that. The Assyrians, that's the way they were viewed. And yet, God had a plan for them. And since God often punished the wicked for going too far... Jonah likely had in his mind boy I can't wait till God punishes the Assyrians I can't wait for him to pour out wrath on that city and burn it to the ground everyone felt that way and so he felt like punishment, wrath judgment, fire, brimstone it was justified it was well deserved punishment in the eyes of Jonah God however felt Something besides anger. When he looked at the Assyrians, when God saw the Assyrians, he recognized a desperate need of humanity and he felt mercy. If we're going to be more like God, we got to view the needs of people. We have to look back. We have to look past their cynicism. We have to look past, past some of the things they say, some of the things they do, The way they act. They can be some of the orneriest, meanest, most difficult people in the world to get along with. But if we're going to be like God, we have to look past that exterior. We have to look past some of the things they're saying and doing and know that deep inside of them is a soul that is absent from God and they need the grace and the mercy that God can extend to them. Several years ago, when we first built our first building, most of you know this story. We were out cutting grass the very, one of the first weeks we were there, had bought the land there on Dwight Rowland Road, and we had a neighbor walk out, and while I was out there cutting grass, he took his pistol out, and he unloaded his pistol at us, and uh, he shot until he just ran out of shells, and uh, we were... Ducking for cover, family was in the car, I'm trying to get them out of the way. Uh, brother Jimmy Wood was on a tractor, I'm trying to get him. and So needless to say, it was terrifying. And um, I remember when I ended up in court for the matter. And the judge said, what are you going to do? Are you going to press charges? And I want to tell you, in my flesh, I, I sure felt like it. But God checked me in that moment. And uh, he said... "I." I've called you to this community, and you have every right, and you're justified in going after this individual. But something inside of me prevented me from doing that as much as I wanted to. And thankfully, years later, we would step across the road, shake hands with the man and make peace. But in our humanity, sometimes we want to get even we want to get back we want to get revenge and sometimes it may be justified we may feel like we're justified we got every right but you know what god was justified in taking us out the bible says were it not for the mercies of god we would have already been consumed if we're talking about justice then none of us should have mercy Right. If we're talking about what's right, none of us deserve the mercies of God. And so there has to come a time in our life where we have to say, Hey, maybe they don't deserve mercy, but I'm going to grant it. Maybe they don't deserve love, but I'm going to grant it. That's the way God viewed the Assyrians, even though Jonah had other ideas. While we often think about God reaching out for just one person, and we thank God that He does, God wants to redeem and bring salvation not just to individuals, but God wants to bring salvation and mercy to towns and cities and countries and regions of the world as He did Nineveh. God has a redemptive plan that can challenge our human ideas of justice. I've known missionaries that would go into tribal villages tribal villages of cannibals people that would literally feast on human flesh and every part of your humanity said these people they're, they're not even human they don't deserve mercy and they don't deserve grace and they don't des-. and yet god put it in the heart of these missionaries to say they have a soul and they're going to live forever one day and god died for them and so i'm going to extend to them mercy and because of that Entire villages have been saved. And so God reaches not just for individuals, but He reaches for nations, as He did in Nineveh. We may see the punishment of the Lord as a righteous act. And if a city behaves wickedly, then we may feel, as Jonah felt, that justice is justified. However, oftentimes, many innocent individuals are caught up in the calamity, wars, Natural disasters and other problems come at a heavy price. I must remember, and we must be reminded that there are no limits to God's love. And nevertheless, we may wonder why God would go to such lengths to save a person, or certainly in this case, a wicked city like Nineveh in this very evil empire. Perhaps the Lord chose to show mercy. To teach us a lesson. Maybe. In the whole grand scheme of things. uh, This was a huge object lesson. For a man named Jonah. And. For a church. Called the Pentecostals of Fuquay. To remind us. That there's no one irredeemable from the grace of God. There's no one too far gone. From the mercy and the grace and the love of God. And so we too must extend that same grace and mercy. We all make mistakes. I don't know that there's a single one of us, probably, in our lives at some point, that someone in our circle has not given up on us. They ain't never going to change. They're always going to be like that. You might as well accept it. Thank God that God did not share that sentiment about me and you. Because we wouldn't be here if God did. And the reality of it is, we need to be more like God and less like man. We need to be more like the spiritual and less like the natural. More like the spirit and less like the flesh. I know what they're saying. I know what they're doing. I know where the way they're acting. I know the ungodly, immoral things that they're doing. But we as an ambassador of Christ must say, but they're still redeemable. They still can be reached. Nineveh teaches us that. and The point of Jonah... To teach Jonah that. And so, it's important that we understand that we all make mistakes, and sadly, sometimes our sins seem so great that we think we have gone too far, even beyond the reach of God's love. We take for granted, oftentimes, as we live for God, come to church, get our lives cleaned up, and we think we got it all together. But many people come into church, and the main thing I have to convince them of is, despite everything they've done and said, God desperately loves them. He desperately loves them, no matter how many times they've tried and they failed. You hear me well? I don't know who I'm talking to tonight. Maybe somebody online. But you listen to Pastor when I tell you. No matter how many times you tried. No matter how many times you failed, no matter how far you have walked away, how many mistakes you have made, you listen to me tonight. God loves you. He cares about you. And He reaches for you even tonight. (laughs) Humanity can't wrap their mind around that kind of love. We have a hard time understanding it, but that's why He's God and we are not. And we must represent Him as close to that as we possibly can. Pray to God, I never get so cynical that after people make the same mistakes six, seven, eight, nine, ten times that I write them off saying, well, they're always going to be that way. God help me. I want to, Every time I see them, people come to church, they leave church, come back, leave church, come back. I don't want to see them with a cynical eye going, well, here they are again. I don't want to be like that. I don't want to be like Jonah. Every time they walk in, I want to be as excited as the, time, the seventh time they walk in as the first time they walk in. This could be the time. This could be the chance. This could be the moment. They turn their life around. Then they get it right. I know that to be true because there are people that have been serving God 20 years and they were in and out for 10. And, and God finally got a hold of them. I mean, I'm hard-headed. I don't learn the first time. And there's a lot of people like that, and we must understand that. And every time they come back, every time they get up off the mat, every time they come to you and say, I'm going to do it right this time, I'm going to get it right this time, don't shake your head and go, we'll see. You say, absolutely, you can do this. I believe in you. God loves you. He cares about you. You can do this. That's our job. Leave the cynicism to the world. Leave the negativity to the world. They need a fresh chance. They need an opportunity. They need people that believe in them. Because we needed it. We needed it. We may believe we have gone too far or others but if the Lord can love a terrible city like Nineveh and show grace compassion and mercy to all of the people there despite their sins then we know God's love truly has no limits now Jonah it wasn't like the love of God was a foreign concept to him he knew about the love and mercy of God unfortunately he saw the Lord's compassion as detrimental to his own desires Ironically, Jonah rebelled against the Lord for this very odd reason. In explaining his disobedience to the Lord, this wayward, fleeing prophet said this, Jonah 4 and 2, I knew that thou art a gracious God, and a merciful God, slow to anger and great kindness, and repentest thee of evil. And so that's the weird thing. Despite knowing about God, Jonah didn't truly know God, right? He knew about God's mercy. He was aware of it, but he didn't truly know God's mercy. And so in this wording, he's acknowledging, I know what God can do, but he didn't think it was for Nineveh. We kind of laugh at that, but we often say, well, I know God can And that's just dripping with negativity. Well, I know God can. Nothing about the way you said that really makes me think you actually think God can. And that's kind of what Jonah was saying. Well, I know know your kindness. I know your mercy. But the backward comment was, but it ain't for Nineveh. (laughs) To be sure, it ain't for these people. And because of his skewed vision of the Almighty... Jonah held out this horrible hope that the Lord would pour out his judgment on the Assyrians. If we were reading the mind of Jonah, this guy was secretly hoping that he would open up his newspaper and say, Nineveh wiped out by the wrath of God. And he would have been like, "Mm mm-hmm, I knew that was going to happen. Yep, they kept on playing. They kept coming in and leaving church and they kept failing and making mistakes. They kept saying they was going to do it and they wasn't. I knew that was going to happen. We shouldn't take pleasure in the demise of people. Come on, somebody. We shouldn't sit around and take satisfaction because somebody did what you... What good is, you know, if you think you're a prophet because you prophesy the demise of somebody, do you take satisfaction in that? God forbid. And so... Jonah, no doubt, was probably hoping this would happen. And he held out this horrible hope. And yet, at the same time, the prophet acknowledged he knew the other side of God. He knew the Lord could be forgiving. And rather than embracing the mercy of God, Jonah feared what it might mean for him and his reputation as a prophet. It was almost like he wanted something bad to happen to Nineveh so that he could say, well, I told you so. And if God redeemed Nineveh, then how would that make him look? Because he had turned his back on them. And so never should we delight in the demise of others. So Jonah fled. Even though the Lord had told Jonah to share the message of repentance with Nineveh, Jonah had no desire to participate in their salvation. And Boy, we like to shake our finger at Jonah. But let's just pull this down to 2024. What if God spoke to you right now and told you to go reach for a prodigal that has backslid 14 times? I want you to call him tomorrow. Pray for him. You're like, oh, Lord, here we go again. Or what about that person that did you wrong? What about that person that stabs you in the back, that talked about you, that gossiped about you, that said horrible things about you to your family? What if God spoke to you tonight and said, "You call them tomorrow and tell them that you love them and that you are here for them and you believe in them"? You know what your what well, do you know what your flesh is going to want to do? Exactly what Jonah did. I'm running from that. I don't want that to happen. I would take greater satisfaction in seeing their demise because I feel like it was justified and it was coming. And so now you can see why Jonah was running. He didn't want to go preach to these people. He didn't like them. He hated them. And he felt like they were the worst people on the planet anyway, and they had coming to them. And yet God (laughs) said, not only do I not want you to hate them, I want you to love them enough to go preach to them. And so he took off. And yet imagine being given the opportunity to preach one of the world's greatest revivals with God assuring you of widespread repentance. He literally is telling you, they're going to repent. It's going to be the greatest revival you've ever known. Go preach to them. It's going to absolutely happen. And then for you only to run away, embracing rather than embracing this call. Jonah did just that. He fled to Tarshish. The opening chapter of Jonah gives the prophet's downward journey, and I mentioned it in our reading of our text tonight. He went down to Joppa, he went down to the ship, he went down into the lower part of the ship. You've probably heard me say it in other preachers before. You, it's good to be reminded of it. You run from God, you go one direction down. You never leave from the presence of God and go up. You never escalate, you never improve. You never promote, when you run from the presence of God, it is a downward trajectory every single time. Eventually, he found himself going down into the sea, being swallowed by a great fish, heading even deeper into the depths of the sea, and Jonah's life at that point was in a downward spiral. And yet, in the midst of this terrible ordeal, Jonah knew the Lord was with him in that watery version that he called hell. Jonah had gone down about as far as humanly possible. When he was at the bottom, he was at the bottom of the bottom. The height of his rebellion had taken him to the bottom of the mountains. And Jonah's plight brings to mind the words of the psalmist when he said in Psalms 139 and 8, If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. He was there, at the bottom of that sea, in that fish with Jonah. Thankfully, the fleeing Jonah realized he could not escape the Lord. And in this odd predicament, Jonah remembered the Lord. In this odd twist of irony, Jonah needed the very mercy for himself that he didn't think Nineveh deserved. <laughs> Now all of a sudden, he's at the bottom of this fish. He's in a watery hell. And he's saying, you know what? Maybe we do need some mercy around here. (laughs) Maybe it would be good, God, for you to extend some grace. So he recognized the salvation and mercy comes from the Lord. And we too, just as Jonah repented in that moment, There are times as a church, we too must be honest with ourselves and say, God, we repent for our rebellion. How many times has God called me to a new commitment and I didn't do it? How many times has God drawn me and pulled me to an act of service? How many times has pastor stood up behind that pulpit and said, Go to the Connect desk and sign up for a ministry. Go find out how you can help. And you felt the tug of God upon your heart. You felt Him dealing with you. You may have wept tears at this altar. And you knew without a shadow of a doubt God was calling you. And you walked right on out. Maybe we too, like Jonah, need to repent for that rebellion. Rebellion's not all about defying God and shaking our fist at God and cursing God. Sometimes rebellion looks as innocent as saying, not right now. That's exactly what Jonah said. Not right now, I'll take off. And so maybe we need to at times repent for our own rebellion and running from God. How many years have been wasted How many lives have been lost because people were running from their calling and running from what God was calling them to do? Maybe we too need to have that prayer that Jonah had in the bottom of that fish. The prophet still needed a journey to Nineveh, preach a message of repentance. But Jonah still hated the Ninevites and he wished for their destruction. It's hard to preach to people you hate. I don't know what that's like. Calm down. I love you. And sometimes it's still tough to preach to you. <laughs> but he hated these people, and yet he was called a priest to them. Nevertheless, Jonah preached a message of repentance, warning of the overthrow of the city. The ultimatum worked. The people proclaimed a fast, and all participated from the greatest to the least. Even the king of Nineveh put on sackcloth and ashes. I want you to think about how great of a city this was. Think about New York City times ten. And everybody in the city repents. Everybody goes on a fast. The mayor of the town puts on sackcloth and ashes and repents. That's revival. What is on the other end of your response to your call? What's on the other end of you not running from God? You may be surprised. And yet, the people trusted in the possibility that the Lord would turn and repent of his fierce anger and they would be saved. It's so important that we understand. If God is calling, and if God is dealing with us, we must respond to that. We must respond to that. We should all be careful about judging Jonah too harshly we too may have had the same feelings about those that have wronged us. We should be careful not to judge Jonah for his actions because there have been times God has called you. He has spoke to you in food line when you pass somebody. He spoke to you when someone came across your mind. This past Sunday, I was praying in my office right before church. It was, I don't know. 9 45 or so and i'm praying and god spoke to me and he said i want you to text this individual right now i had not seen them in several weeks and i knew they had been battling some severe sickness and uh but i thought it's 9:45, it's 9:50. i don't i really don't have the time right now i'm you know i'm trying to think about you know the service and the message and i'll do it after church and he was just like nope i said do it right now and i'm like you know you never win an argument with God, just to tell you right now. It's just, it's better off just, you know, your parents used to say, and we say it now. You just do it because I said. Yeah. When God says it, just do it because he said. And so I said, all right. So I got out my phone, and I had found the contact, and I, I text this individual. And uh, I'm in church, and um, that individual, right after church started, they walked in with their entire family and told me after service that I was battling Uh, extreme discouragement, battling all kinds of things, and on the way to church, I got your text, and it was a confirmation that me getting up and going to church today is exactly what I needed. I was praying for that confirmation. Thank you. That's exactly what I was looking for. God spoke through you, and I thought, how could I? I mean, I could have so easily missed that. I mean, just a simple thing. And so it's so important that we respond when God speaks, when he calls, when he draws, when he asks us to do things. Even Jonah teaches us that on the other end of that response, who knows what God will do. Why don't we all stand? Maybe someone here tonight God is calling and dealing with, pulling into a greater act of service, committing their life to God even more than they are now. Maybe God is dealing with someone here tonight to reach out to someone you may have had a grudge against. Someone you don't like, like Jonah didn't like Nineveh. Maybe it's someone that did you wrong. What if a great revival started because you extended that olive branch? What if a a great restoration took place and great peace happened because you were the one who decided to extend that olive branch and extend peace? As Jonah saw a great revival, who knows what could be on the other end of you responding to that. I want to respond to the call of God in my life. Don't you? Lift your hands and say, God, if you will help me, I will respond to your call. God, help me to learn from Jonah that when you call me, when you beckon me, Lord, I pray, God, that I would follow after your calling. I would... Follow after Your voice. Help me to be obedient to Your voice, Lord. Help me, God, to ignore my own pursuits and put those secondary to what You want me to do. Help me, Lord, to learn from Your prophet and Your Scripture, Lord, that it is best to respond to Your beckoning call, to respond, Lord, to You calling us. In Jesus' name we pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody say amen.